Well, here on the screen is a photograph of the third most important international visitor to come to Northern Ireland in the past week. We have the two most important here, of course. Not that he really spent that much time in this part of the island. Um, he couldn't wait to get to the other part, and especially to his ancestral home in Mayo in Ballina, if that's how you pronounce that, is it? I'm not quite sure, but that wee town anyway, or village. And the fuss there was absolutely incredible. But I reckon that tomorrow morning in that village, everything will be back to normal once again. Nothing much will have really changed. Back at the end of last year, Argentina won the World Cup. And on their return to the country, millions of Argentinian fans came out onto the streets all over that country, but especially in Buenos Aires, and the celebrations were manic. And yet within a few days, Buenos Aires returned to normal. Everybody got back to their routine, and life pretty much continued on as it had done before. This night last week on Easter Sunday, we were gathered here. It was the second of our celebrations, our times of worship on Easter Day. We had special music, we had special services, and rightly so. But I wonder, are those celebrations of the church, a bit like what has happened in Mayo this past week and in Argentina at the end of last year, that it's been a case that within a few days we have forgotten all about what it is that we were celebrating. We've fallen back into all the normal routines of life, and now we give little, if any, thought to the resurrection of Christ and what it actually means for us. But we know that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is far too important to be confined to one Sunday or one day in the year. So tonight we return again to Paul's teaching on resurrection as it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I would encourage you to have your Bibles open. I see all around me that there are open Bibles, and that's a good thing. As we quickly survey all of this chapter, but then home in on those verses at the end. And last week, we took some time to consider the first part of this chapter, and we discovered that the resurrection lies right at the heart of the gospel, and it is the foundation of our hope in what is a hopeless world. And tonight, as we focus on these final verses, let's have a quick recap of what Paul is arguing all the way through this chapter of Scripture. He begins by stating the importance of the resurrection in the opening two verses, and then in verses 12 to 19. So, look at how Paul introduces the subject of the resurrection in verse 1. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. He continues in verse 2, by this gospel you are saved. 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. And we know that that word gospel literally means good news. At times we can have a very narrow definition of the gospel. We think that the gospel is only to do with the cross and what we gain through Jesus' death. And please do not get me wrong this evening, what we gain through the sacrifice of Christ is immense. And it is important, it is crucial, literally, the, the cross is crucial. But it's important to see Paul's summary of the whole gospel, the whole of this good news story, as we continue in verse 3. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But then verse 4, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So, the resurrection is a massive part of this good news. Then Paul talks about the reality of the resurrection, and we'll come back to this again in a few moments' time. But really, the main part of this chapter is spent thinking about how believers will share in this resurrection. Indeed, a, a substantial amount of this chapter from verses 21 to 54 is taken up with this theme. Why did Paul spend so much time talking about our resurrection as believers? Well, it's because there was a problem in the church in Corinth. And remember, the problem was not so much that these people in Corinth doubted the resurrection of Jesus. They could kind of accept that. They doubted that believers would share in that resurrection. Resurrection of people like us? No way. And they failed to see how the resurrection of Christ relates to them. And so that's what Paul explains to them in the rest of chapter 15. And then he finishes, and we'll think about this in detail in just a few moments, with the impact of the resurrection, that it should transform our attitude to death, and it should transform our way of living here and now. And it is so important to recognize that this is a chapter that is primarily about the resurrection of believers, those who die in Christ. And we know that sometimes people can talk in the vaguest terms about what happens to people when they die. Sadly, even those of us who profess a Christian faith can be unsure of what happens to a believer in Christ at the point of death and on into eternity. But thankfully, God's Word makes it abundantly clear, and the total of its teaching is summed up in the, the shorter catechism. Look at question 37. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? And the answer is so clear. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. 
And in this chapter, Paul gets into the specifics of how a believer will share in Jesus' resurrection, that at the final resurrection, those who have died in Christ will receive resurrection bodies like His. And Paul tells us that our resurrection body will have similarities to our current one, but will also be markedly different. And the key thing, verse 42, that it will be raised imperishable. Think about that truth. Unbreakable. Not subject to cancer. Not subject to sin. And in his commentary on 1 Corinthians for the Good Book Company, Andrew Wilson picking up on Paul's picture of a, a seed in verse 37 says, my future body is to my current body what an oak tree is to an acorn, identifiably the same, and with the life of the new emerging from the corpse of the old, but at the same time greater to an unimaginable degree. So, how should we live in the light of these wonderful truths? Well, let's focus on verse 58. What impact should the reality of the resurrection have on our lives? As we consider this incredible truth that Christ rose from the dead and that those who believe and die in Christ will share in His resurrection, this is what it should lead to. First of all, it should lead to having hope in a hopeless world. On Thursday, as Rogerio was mentioning, I took Rogerio and Sonia to Westkirk and to Grace and Hope. And then after that, after we had lunch together, I took them on a bit of a tour around that part of Belfast. And we were driving through the Lower Shankill Estate. And I was explaining that despite 25 years of a, a peace process, that in that particular part of Belfast, there is an epidemic of suicides among young people, particularly young men. A lack of peace in people's hearts and no sense of hope. Well, Christians, believers in Christ, have a real and a solid hope in the face of death. And we know that our society fears death. And therefore, many people do not like to talk about death. But these recent years have, have very much brought us face to face with death. Back at the time of the pandemic, we turned on our news, and right at the, the top of the headlines were those daily figures and big, bold red numbers on the screen, the people who had died. And over this past year, the immediacy of those images, those pictures from Ukraine, the horror of war and the, the deaths of people, soldiers, and civilians alike. Well, the Apostle Paul traces the roadmap to Christian hope. He starts by saying, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we have no hope. We're made out to be liars. We're to be pitied more than all other men. And we might as well just go home, as we, we thought about last Sunday evening. But then the crucial thing, verse 20, but Christ 
has indeed been raised from the dead. And remember the forensic mind of Paul. Paul, the, the theologian, the lawyer, the academic who uses verses 5 to 8 to lay out the evidence for the resurrection, all of the resurrection appearances of Jesus to people. And Paul continues that those who trust in Christ will share in His resurrection. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And he explains the nature of this resurrection. It's so important that we understand what Paul is saying, that this will be a bodily resurrection, that we will be complete people. Banish from your minds those images, those cartoon images of glory and of entities floating about on clouds, real people. So that this is the grounds for great hope, because we know that death is our ultimate enemy. Death undoes what was done at creation. It ends. It separates. That's why Jesus, as the perfect man and as the Son of God, wept at the, the graveside of Lazarus because he, better than anyone else, understood the impact of death. But here in this chapter, in verse 55, as he paraphrases Hosea, Paul taunts our greatest enemy, death. He says, world death is your victory, world death is your sting. And he knows that it is a victory that is found in Jesus. And so he continues in verse 57, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what difference does that really make? The argument of many secular humanists, an argument that I've heard articulated by Ricky Gervais, is I don't need some promise of life beyond this life in order to live a good life here and now. I choose to be kind and compassionate because I want to make this life count. Well, if that's really the case, can you take me to the humanist food banks? Can you take me to the humanist clean water projects? When we went to North Belfast, it's not humanists who are helping refugees arriving into that city, helping them to learn English, giving them help and aid and a start in a new country. They're nowhere to be seen. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's those with resurrection hope. The hope of the resurrection gives us a real sense of purpose. We know that what we do counts for eternity. And we have been living through a time of crisis. Rogerio alluded to that this morning. In fact, if you think about it, 
in an unparalleled way, certainly in my lifetime, I think in the lifetime of anybody here tonight, we have been living through a time of crises, plural, political turmoil on both sides of the Atlantic, so that Washington, whether we like it or not, and its influence on the rest of the world, and Westminster have been going through unparalleled instability this past few years. Not to mention the political inertia here in our own province, here in Northern Ireland. We've had the pandemic and then all of the fallout from lockdowns, all of the, the havoc that's been caused, not least the mental health crisis as a result of all of that. We're living in a time of strikes and a cost of living crisis. We are currently seeing a major war on our own continent here in Europe. And people need hope. Do you have it in Christ? And if you do, will you share this hope with others? Because as resurrection believers, we believe in a God. We trust in a God who makes all things new. And we have real hope in a hopeless world. But very quickly, the next thing that this leads to, this truth of the resurrection, is it leads to believers keeping on in the tough times. Listen to Paul's command to what is, remember, a persecuted church in verse 58. He says, therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. That is a persecuted Christian speaking to persecuted Christians. A man who has been arrested and imprisoned, as Rogerio was reminding us this morning, a man who would later be executed because of his faith in Christ. He knows what tough times are like. And Paul says that resurrection believers should be robust believers, that the reality of Jesus' resurrection and our sharing in it should enable us to keep standing when the storms of life come our way, that we have this eternal perspective that enables us to face up to the worst that this world brings. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to stand firm, and we need to think about what lies ahead for us in Western society, in our United Kingdom, and in our own country here, because we see the way things are changing, the way things are turning, the reality that there will be for those who seek to be faithful to the gospel. And think about those times when our faith is tested in our lives. Again, as Rogerio was helping us to think about earlier. And what an incredible thing. Rogerio, I'm sure, will agree with us as a pastor when you meet people who are going through the toughest of times. And you, you hear them express those sentiments, pray those prayers, Lord, I don't understand what is happening. But Lord, I trust in your purposes. 
And I take you at your word that you are a good God, that you love your people, and that you have their eternal welfare at heart. Are you a robust Christian? We'll only stand firm if we walk closely with the Lord. When we're reminded of His promises, when we avail of the means of grace, when we spend time in His Word and in prayer, and as the church, the church is so important to this. And finally, this confidence, this belief in the resurrection will result in us working hard in service to the Lord. Someone once said of the Puritans in a disparaging way, they are so heavenly-minded, they are of no earthly use. But if you study the Puritans, and if you see the legacy of the Puritans and those who, who were their, 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 those who followed on from them, you'll see that these were people who were engaged in all kinds of activism in their society. The hope of the resurrection should result in us working hard in service to the Lord and others. Paul puts it like this in verse 58. He says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And what should be the motivation for this hard work? Well, he continues, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Well, people, how we need to hear this? Because so many people have such a limited view of the gospel and what it means to be in relationship with God. Here's how some people imagine the Christian life. They imagine it's like they've, they've got a ticket to a dream holiday or a luxury cruise, the, the trip of a lifetime, and now they'll just sit back, they'll just chill out, and they'll wait for this to happen. Well, folks, the end of 1 Corinthians 15 should break to pieces that wrong view of being a Christian. The hope of the resurrection doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing, but that we live a life that really counts. And please notice a really important thing in verse 58. If you look at how it's translated in the NIV or in the, the Christian Standard Bible, Paul says, your labor in the Lord, not for the Lord. And there's a difference, and it's a great reminder of the gospel that salvation is not earned through service, but that service to the Lord is such a, a wonderful way of showing our gratitude for the salvation that He gives us. And it's important that we get that in the right order. Are you a resurrection believer? Do you trust that Christ's death brings peace and true forgiveness and that He rose again? Do you believe that you will share in that resurrection, that He, as the first fruits, leads the way for you? Are you living with hope? 
Are you a robust Christian so that nothing will move you? Are you working hard, laboring in the Lord? And I think that last question is a key one for us as we consider our plans for outreach over this coming year. There is great work being done, and there is great work that needs to be done. Will you be involved in that as a resurrection believer? Because we're going to need you. I want to finish with these Paul Tripp slides that really sum up what we have been hearing from God's Word from the Apostle Paul tonight, because I love the way Paul Tripp puts this. He says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is why I get up in the morning. He tells us the resurrection of Jesus Christ is why I can sleep at night. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is why I do what I do every day. People, the resurrection is far too important for one Sunday a year. It should be at the forefront of the minds of redeemed people every single day. Jesus is risen. That is the foundation of our hope, and that changes everything in our lives and in this church. Amen.